0: Thank you for joining us for a message from the Christian Fellowship Church of Candu, North Dakota. Please visit our website for more information about our church at canduCfc.com: uh, Glad to be here together today, friends. Uh, I'm excited for what we're getting into uh, this morning in the Gospel of John. We've been trekking through this, uh, this amazing book of the Bible. We're actually in part three. Can you believe it? Like we're over half a year into this thing. And it's, I'm not getting tired of it, so we're just going to keep going if that's alright with you. And uh, I'm, I'm excited for this section that we're getting into here in a moment. So I'm going to recap a couple of things that we finished in John 12, and then we're going to get into John 13 this morning. So, so last week we were in kind of the second half of John 12, and that passage was highlighted by Jesus speaking openly about his death. But he didn't just talk about the fact that he would die, this time he talked specifically about what his death would accomplish. It would defeat Satan and give all people a means for salvation. Now Jesus said these things after he entered Jerusalem, just days before the Passover festival was set to begin. So starting today here in chapter 13 and continuing all the way to chapter 17, we are going to hear Jesus speak much just directly to his disciples. And this is so special because these are the people that Jesus has been building into for three plus years. Jesus is sharing some final and profound moments with those closest to him. No doubt so that he can give them some final instructions and encouragement to help them carry on without him when he ascends to the Father. So let's pray together and then uh, I'll share a story and we'll get into this passage. Lord God, I, I love that you, you value your disciples so much that you wanted to have just some time towards the end here to really pour into them. And Jesus, I, I pray that it's not lost on any one of us that we too can be your disciples. And that what we're going to read today is not just something that you are sharing with a group of 12 men 2,000 years ago, but it's something that you share with us today. Everyone who calls on you and believes that you are the Son of God. So, Lord Jesus, just speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and move in this place. Make the words that come out of my mouth, uh, words that are in line with what your message and your will is for this morning. And I pray that we would just focus in on you, receive from you, and understand what your will is for us at this time. Amen. So like we said, Jesus is about to ascend to the Father and he's giving some final instructions before he, before he leaves. And as I was thinking about this, I thought about, well, in my life, what is the closest thing I've ever experienced to something like this? And, and the closest thing I could come to is when my youth pastor, Brad, he asked me to go for lunch with him one spring when I was in my early 20s. A couple of months earlier, Brad had asked me if I would come and I would work under him at our church as an intern in the youth program. And I was so excited and eager to learn because I had already been volunteering in youth and I loved it so much. I loved Brad also and I knew that he loved me. He was not only, or he had not only taught me much when I was a student in his ministry, but he poured into me as a volunteer and now later on, he became truly a friend, not just a mentor. He asked me to meet him at Dairy Queen for lunch on this particular day, so we both arrived and uh, we... We ordered our food, sat down and prayed. But then before I could even take a bite of my ultimate burger, Brad looked at me and says, Jeff, I'm leaving Winkler. I'm not going to be the youth pastor at our church anymore. I pushed my tray of food aside for the first time in my life. (laughs) And I looked at him in disbelief. I just said, like, Brad, what do you mean? And he had told me that he had taken a job at another church two provinces away in Alberta and that he and his family would be moving in uh, in just a few months that summer. I bowed my head at this news and, and the tears started to work their way to the surface and they were rolling down my face. This wonderful man and godly example for me the last nine years of my life was leaving and I had to grapple with what that meant. But as we talked over lunch, he told me about all that God was doing in his life and how He had been led to this change, and it made sense. Over the next several months, before Brad left for Alberta, he and I talked often. He coached me and helped me and poured into me even more intensely than he had been over the last several years. He was preparing me for for when he would be gone, and then I would be assuming the lead of our junior high ministry at our church. I feel like this is kind of the heart that I see in Jesus over these next five chapters that we're going to start in on today. Like we said, Jesus is preparing his beloved disciples for his departure, getting them ready to take the lead and to carry on with the ministry that he had so faithfully begun. So let's get into verse 1 and we're going to start to understand just how he did that. So John 13 verse 1 starts by saying, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come, to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Think back with me for a moment to the beginning of John, when we see Jesus calling his disciples to follow him. Jesus wasn't just looking for a group of dudes to come and be his entourage, right? Like he wasn't looking for a posse or a group of buddies to hang out with. Jesus loved his disciples, and he called these people to himself so that he could pour into them and lead their lives towards what the kingdom is all about. And as verse 1 is telling us, he loved them, or his love for them was constant right to the end. This is so beautiful. So often in life, it's easier to start strong with energy and all sorts of excitement, but finishing strong is much harder. It's difficult. And it doesn't always happen if we're honest, does it? So here we're seeing that Jesus loved at the beginning and his love for his disciples, it stayed strong right to the end. This constant love for his disciples is what fuels everything that Jesus is about to say to them over the next five chapters. Verse 2, It was time for supper and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So this supper is, in fact, the last supper that we hear about, the final meal that Jesus and his disciples get to share together. And Satan has planted the idea in Judas's heart that he should betray Jesus to the chief priests for just 30 pieces of silver, as we read in Matthew 26, verse 15. All of this was coming to a head. It was pretty chaotic, yet pretty amazing at the same time. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, And that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around them. So knowing that the end of his time on earth was drawing near, Jesus was sure of two very important things at this moment. God the Father had given him authority or power as the Savior of the world. And that no one could ever change that or threaten that. But the second thing is that since he came down from God, Jesus was also going to return to his Father in heaven very soon. So with those two things on his heart, knowing that he was now in the final moments with his disciples, Jesus begins doing something special for them that he hadn't done yet. Before supper, he washed their feet. Verse 6, when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to them, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Now, washing feet in those days was a very common thing, right? We talked about this in chapter 12 when we saw that Mary anointed Jesus' feet with perfume. It wasn't weird or strange to have someone wash your feet because people traveled the dusty roads of Israel and they came into homes and they were just wearing sandals. Their feet were caked with dust and grime and they needed someone to wash their feet. So as people came in off the streets, there was often a servant of the home that was assigned for this task. Then the servant would wash their feet, wipe them off with a towel. Very normal. But Peter has this impulsive nature and in his eyes, Jesus is not a lowly servant. He was the leader. He was the boss. I mean, Jesus was the Messiah. Peter couldn't comprehend why the greatest among them was doing the work that was typically reserved for the lowliest or the servant of the house. The question Peter asks of Jesus is more of an objection than an actual question. Obviously, Jesus understands what Peter is struggling with. So Jesus responds to Peter's objection in verse 7 saying, You don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. Okay, so why would Jesus say this to Peter? It's a pretty straightforward thing. Jesus, are you going to wash my feet? Peter, you just don't get it. Just hang in there, okay? Having their feet washed is something that these disciples would have experienced countless times in their life. But if Jesus says that they don't understand, What he's doing right now, it's because there must be something more than just washing feet going on here. There's a hidden meaning that the disciples won't comprehend right now in this moment, perhaps. So as Jesus proceeds to wash Peter's feet, Peter seems kind of agitated to me. Verse 8, no, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. I can, I can kind of picture Jesus reaching for Peter's feet after this explanation, thinking, well, this is good enough. You don't get it, but you will. Just let me do my thing. And Peter says, no way. You're not going to do this. And then, you know, it, it kind of it escalates from there. Peter, it, it, clearly in his heart, he will not stand for his Lord, the person that he holds so high, to do something that is so menial, right? And I, I get that. In the second part of verse 8, Jesus replied, Unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Okay. So here's where things begin to change a little bit from just washing feet to a meaning that is far greater than just washing feet. Remember all throughout Jesus' ministry, as we've observed here in John, Jesus has taken ordinary, everyday things, and he's used them to do what? To illustrate a spiritual truth. And Jesus, He's talked about water to the woman at the well. He's talked about bread to the 5,000 that He fed. He talked about light. He talked about sheep and their shepherd. In each of these moments, Jesus incorporated earthly things in His teaching to help people turn the eyes of their heart onto a spiritual truth that would help them to know Jesus for themselves. And this is what Jesus is doing right now in this moment with His disciples. As Jesus washes the feet of his disciples, Peter is unwilling to see their leader do something so servant-like. But this protest by Peter is met by Jesus saying, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. So this is part of the deeper spiritual meaning that is behind this task that is very common or ordinary. So when Jesus says, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Does this mean that a person can't belong to Jesus? They can't have a relationship with Jesus or receive forgiveness for their sins from Jesus unless he physically washes their feet? No praise the Lord, because if that was the case, we'd be all up the creek, right? Because we don't have Jesus here physically with us to reach out and wash our feet. But Jesus is pointing to the need that we all have to be spiritually washed and cleansed by him. In Acts 22, verse 16, it says, have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. Okay, so That's what happens. Our sins are washed when we call on the name of Jesus. Titus 3, verse 4 and 5. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so there is a spiritual washing, a spiritual cleansing that Jesus is pointing to. This is what Jesus meant. He wants to wash away our sin. Still not quite fully understanding, but perhaps frightened by the implications of what Jesus has just said. Peter goes from one extreme, like you're never going to do this, to the other. Oh, then in that case, verse 9, then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who is bathed all over does not need to wash, except for the feet. To be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, Not all of you are clean. So, verse 10 points to two different kinds of washing. This is very important. We're going to slow down here and really figure this one out. So, there's a bath that Jesus talks about that washes a person all over, and then there's just the washing of the feet. Again, these two kinds of washing that Jesus talk about are pointing to a spiritual truth. First, Jesus talks about someone who has bathed all over. This refers to someone who has believed in Jesus and accepted him as their savior. Jesus understands Peter's heart, right? He knows that Peter loves him. He knows that Peter believes in him and, and says that he is the son of God, the Messiah, the one who has come. From heaven. And in fact, in Matthew 16, verse 15 and 16, Jesus and Peter, they have a conversation about exactly this. But what about you? He asked, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So it's this belief that Jesus knew about that makes Peter spiritually clean. He's been bathed all over. Everyone who believes in Jesus, just like Peter has in this, in this spot, they are spiritually washed clean or made righteous in God's eyes. Romans 3 verse 22 is evidence of this. It says, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Isn't that beautiful? So like the cleansing that we desperately need to receive from Jesus is something that he freely gives to all who believe. It's not about our goodness. It's not about what we offer to Jesus. It's not about the ways that we come to him and grovel for mercy. But it's actually about if we accept this gift by believing that it's true. So the second washing, just of the feet, it has a different meaning than the first one. This washing points to the ongoing issue of sin that is present as long as we live in this world. So like we talked about last week, Satan and the realities of sin are still battling against us. Jesus has given us eternal life and tells us to live our lives righteously for him here on earth in response to the righteousness that he gives us. When Satan deceives us here on earth during our life and we're lured into sin, it doesn't mean that we've lost our salvation. Oh no, I lied. I I did something I shouldn't have done. Now I need Jesus to save me all over again. That's not how it works, right? Jesus has given us eternal life and he tells us that we are secure in that. But what happens when Satan does creep in and and there's temptation and we give in and we're deceived and we sin, what it means is that there's just a a cleanup that needs to happen again. We need to address that sin that we fell into. That sin hasn't separated us from God entirely, but it has put a small strain on on the relationship that we're meant to have with Jesus. It's kind of like having a nice clean shirt, a white shirt. And my dad would be famous for this. Sorry, dad, if you're watching. My dad doesn't wear white shirts anymore because every time he eats, there's a spot of something that gets on there, right? If we're eating spaghetti, it's not like he's bathed in spaghetti sauce, but there's one spot. So that one spot makes the whole shirt dirty, doesn't it? It needs to be be cleaned up. So even though there's just one spot, they still wash it. It's the it's same thing with us in our relationship with Jesus. We haven't sinned and gone away from God. We haven't said, God, I don't believe in you anymore. But when we do make these these innocent mistakes, we just need to own up and say, Oh, Jesus, there is a sin that has come between you and me. It hasn't separated us for all eternity because you have forgiven me. But I want my relationship with you to be on the best terms possible, the strongest connection That I can be responsible for. Therefore, I need your cleaning. I need your washing again. Think about it like this. Let's say that you and one of your friends, you're on great terms with each other. You have a strong relationship and you've enjoyed knowing each other for years and years and years. One day you make a joke and you inadvertently hurt your friend's feelings. You didn't intend to hurt them, right? That wasn't the motivation of your heart. But nonetheless... It happened, right? That that one misguided comment that you thought would be funny, it actually cut them deep. So is it destroyed? Is the friendship over? Or can you never see each other again? No, of course not, right? We, we don't have to just be awkward, but the friendship still has been strained. In order for that friendship to function at the highest level possible, an apology and forgiveness are in order. Just like the relationships that we have with each other, that they can be strained for one reason or another, we also have a relationship with God that can be strained when we leave sin unaddressed in our lives. This is why the Bible contains verses like Lamentations 3 verse 40. Instead, let us test and examine our ways. Let us turn back to the Lord. So we need to evaluate the health of our relationship with Jesus probably daily. And it's not something to obsess over, but we just don't want to go long periods of time without ever thinking, I wonder how me and Jesus are even doing, right? Maybe it's just good for us to ask every so often, have I sinned? Have I disobeyed God? Have I done something else that is, or have I made something else a greater priority than my love and relationship with Jesus and my pursuit of his kingdom? The Bible, along with the conviction of the Holy Spirit, they're going to help us to know when we've made a mistake and we've sinned against our Lord. And you know what? The Bible and the Holy Spirit, they're not going to crush you. They're not going to look at you or, or like make you wake up one morning and say, you're a loser and you could never deserve the love of God again. Like That's not the way the Holy Spirit works. So if you hear that voice, that's not God, all right? remember that and be confident that those, those attacking voices that's not the voice of the Holy Spirit but when there is a conviction when you wake up and you say man this last couple of weeks I don't know what it is but I've just been slipping and I know that I haven't been in my Bible I know that I've been slacking off I know I've been consuming media that I would never tell anyone else that I'm watching or something like that that's probably the Holy Spirit letting you know that something's wrong And it needs to change. He hasn't crushed you, but he's brought it to your attention because he loves you. And he wants your relationship with Jesus to be the best it can be. When that happens, then it's time to say, oh, Lord, you know what? Thank you for reminding me of this. I'm sorry. I don't know what I've been thinking. I don't want to go on that road. I actually want to go towards you. Because everything that I've ever enjoyed in my life, every good thing, has been something that you've given me. Would you please forgive me for my absent-mindedness? Would you forgive me for slacking off and making choices that I know compromise what my real heart truly desires? And then you can be confident because of verses like 1 John 1 verse 9, that God forgives you, that he restores. And again, just like a foot washing cleanses your feet, his forgiveness cleanses you from those sins that have popped up in your life. So we see here that that Jesus washing his disciples' feet is a demonstration of the importance of maintaining our relationship with Jesus. That's why Jesus says a person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet. They don't need to be saved all over again, but they do need to be washed in order that sin is continually addressed and it doesn't pile up and hinder our relationship with Jesus. Jesus is teaching his disciples about the cleansing that happens when we come to our Lord to receive salvation and the cleansing that is necessary to maintain a strong and vibrant connection to Jesus. I've said this before, and I'll probably continue to say this for the rest of my life. Salvation, being fully cleansed by Jesus from our sins, is not a finish line. It's not the end, it's the beginning. It's the starting point for the greatest relationship that we could ever have. And we need to stay on top of issues that may threaten that relationship That is the best thing that has ever happened to us. I think all of us desire for our relationship with Jesus to function at the highest level possible. We don't want to be dragged along into heaven because our toes are tied to the bumper of a chariot that's going into eternity. I think we actually want to run because on this earth we've been looking for Christ in everything we could do. And because that we're running into the arms of Jesus rather than being dragged there. I think that's my motivation, and I think I see that in us too. So Jesus understands that most of his disciples have believed in him, which is a crazy thing to even think about, right? Like these 12 guys who spent all their time with Jesus, he says, yeah, you are clean, but not all of you. Judas, the one who will betray him, is the lone exception here. It's, it's just shocking that, you know, you go, you think about that room of 12 men, right? And Judas is there. Jesus knows everything that's going on with Judas. Do you think that Jesus skipped over Judas when he was washing feet? Do you ever wonder about that? Like, I would, if I was Jesus in my flawed character, I'd be like, you know, what, Judas, you might want to sit this one out. I got something else for you, buddy. You know, like, that'd be the motivations that I'd be struggling with. But I think, like, Jesus understood That even though Judas had not truly given his heart to him, Jesus was still willing to to honor him with the rest of them. I'm sure he still washed his feet, even though he understood that his heart had not been given over. But I love that Jesus does this for his disciples, because what this demonstrates is the thing that most of us typically see when we look at this passage. This amazing attitude of humility... And like this servant heart that Jesus is willing to give to his disciples. He's the greatest in that room. He's the greatest in all the world, right? No one is greater than Jesus. No one's more powerful. No one's more loving. Yet in his amazing personality, in his amazing character, in his state as God in flesh, he still doesn't think it's beneath him to humble himself and serve the ones around him. And we're going to come back to that point in just a minute. Verse 12. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? I think this is kind of funny, actually, because back in verse seven, Jesus says, you don't understand what I'm doing now. And then here he is kind of rhetorically asking, you know, do you understand? Knowing that they probably don't. So he's going to launch into a teaching anyway. Verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. So by saying this, Jesus is affirming, yes, he does have a high position amongst them. He is their Lord. He is their teacher. Verse 14. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. Ah, so here's another Big lesson. The first one is about the cleansing on different levels, right? That's clearly the thing that is not often understood here. But here's the other big lesson. If Jesus in a high position of importance is willing to stoop down in humility and wash his disciples' feet, they should be willing to act in humility towards each other as well. If Jesus isn't too good or too high ranking for this task, then none of us are. Right? Like Jesus was a servant who deserved to be served. But he was willing to show us that so that we would know what it means to follow him. Verse 15, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. I love that. I love that. I mean, James is one of my favorite books in the Bible. It says, faith without deeds is dead, right? Follow me, follow me. This is Jesus's big, big cry as he's going about places. Believe in me. I am the son of God. Great, I believe in you. He says, okay, belief is good. Now do it this is what I've set an example for you to do so that your faith isn't just going to be empty and hollow, but there's actually a life that you can live that is going to be gratifying and satisfactory because it's going to be about service, not about being served. I think it's amazing that Jesus would call us to this. So just as we have seen so many times here in the gospel of John, Jesus does something good and we are meant to do it as well. And it's interesting, so when we see Jesus say, You have seen what I've done for you, now do it for each other, right? This is why we see frequently all over the New Testament that everywhere the disciples go, they are constantly washing other people's feet. Have you ever noticed that? I'm getting a bunch of blank stares. You know why? Because it never happens. Isn't that surprising? We think this is all about washing feet. And then you look in the rest of the Bible, there is literally one spot in the New Testament that talks about washing feet apart from this passage. So if this is the case, that we're always supposed to be washing each other's feet, I think we've missed something if that's what we think. It's not about that at all. I just want to find my spot again here. I'm ad-libbing a little bit. So Jesus is what he's really doing is he's teaching us two things here. First, just like we are meant to put in an effort into maintaining relationship with God. As Christians, we also need to work to maintain relationship with each other. That's what he meant when he said, what I've done for you, you're supposed to do for each other. And just as Jesus forgives us when he messes, when we mess up, he washes our feet. We are meant to forgive each other. So that as the people of God's church, our relationships can remain intact. And the second thing, and this is, this is accomplished through not literally washing each other's feet, but by mimicking the attitude that Jesus demonstrated for us today. Jesus came down from the glories of heaven into earth. He gave his life as a sacrifice, even though he was innocent. He was humble and he took on the role of the servant for us. And now we are meant to do the same for each other. So this whole passage... This whole thing, if we just step back and look at this big picture for a moment, it's teaching us about the importance of maintaining relationship with God and with each other. It's about receiving God's forgiveness and knowing that we need to continue to receive it and ask for it. And when those things happen, we have unity vertically with God. And then when we do the same thing that he's done for us in forgiving, we extend forgiveness to each other. We have unity horizontally here as a church. So why would Jesus, okay, so we've gone through this passage. This is the big question. Why on earth, in the last moments that Jesus has with his disciples, why would he say that he wants to teach his disciples about these things right now? I thought about this one for a while in my office this week because out of all the things that Jesus could have taught him, I wouldn't have put this one at the top of the list, but clearly Jesus is much wiser than we are. If we think about the context about what's going on, Jesus is only about a day away from giving his life for all people. Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven will, will pave the way for people to receive salvation and for the church to be formed. See, the church is God's people, right? And God's people are so tremendously precious to him. Of course he wants us to love him, but God also wants us... To love each other. If rifts of unforgiveness spring up and divide us, that's a clear sign that our church is weak and not following Christ's example. That's why Jesus taught us about forgiveness, humility, and having a heart that shows that we're willing to serve each other today. If we do for one another what Jesus did for us, forgiving, maintaining relationship We are making the kingdom of God our top priority. And we're keeping his church strong until the day that he comes. So this foot washing lesson today is awesome. I just, I'm so humbled that Jesus would say, guys, in in theory, he's saying, guys, my church is going to be formed. And what I'm going to do for you right now in this room is what I want you to do for the rest of eternity to make sure that my church stays strong. It's so humbling that we get to be invited in to that. Remember how in verse 1 it said he had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth and now he loved them to the very end? When I read that verse and I see what Jesus did for us and what he's passed on to us to share with one another, I see, I see so clearly Jesus' love for you and me today. It's just awesome. This lesson that Jesus taught his disciples in John 13, I think this can be felt right here at Christian Fellowship Church. If I, if I sit back and think about our church, and I did this week, I feel that we have a loving church. I can see that, that like Jesus, people are humble and they're willing to serve each other no matter who we are. I've seen evidence of it. Without embarrassing people, I can see a half a dozen stories from this last month where people from this church humbled themselves to do something good for someone else. And these attitudes are good because if trouble ever comes up and someone is unfortunately wronged or offended or hurt here in our church family, I fully believe that forgiveness is going to be quick and sincere because we've all experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, right? So we're going to end today by giving, giving God the last word. Karen, if you want to come on up, that would be great. When I say that we're going to give God the last word, we're just going to pray. We're going to, we're going to pause and we're going to give Jesus a minute to speak into our hearts. We do this from time to time. If you haven't done this before, that's okay. We're just going to ask Jesus. We're going to pray. We're going to ask Him a question. We're going to be quiet and see if He brings anything to our hearts that we need to think about or be aware of. Anything that maybe has slipped from our attention that He wants to be refocused so that it doesn't go just and, and and take off like some sort of an issue in our life that might compromise this relationship that we learned about today so Fred, why don't you close your eyes with me i'm just gonna i'm gonna pray and i'm gonna ask a question i'll, I'll prompt you along as, as we need to go father we thank you that you sent your son and we thank you jesus that you are so faithful through your years on earth we thank you father that in this lesson that Jesus taught his disciples, we understand that things can happen in the relationship that we have with you, but we don't want those things to remain. We want to deal with them. And as your people here in Candu, North Dakota, we acknowledge that there are things that have popped up between you and us that we don't want to just ignore them and leave them alone. We actually want to have these things be taken care of. So Jesus, our question to you right now is this. Is there any issue, any sort of sinful habit or or thing that we've done that has come up and, and put a strain on our relationship with you? Maybe we're not aware of it. Would you please just speak to that right now and just let us know if there is something that we need to deal with between you and us this morning? has shown you something if there's something that's come to mind just take 30 seconds right now just make it right just tell jesus lord i'm sorry for what that is i, I realize that it's it's not what you want it is a sin so i confess that and i repent of it i don't want to do those things and ask him to forgive you with confidence knowing that he loves you and he will forgive Jesus for every person in this room whether we understood something right now in this moment or not that needed to be addressed because it is a sin issue that stands between you and us I pray father God that, that their confession would have been received by you and that now in this moment they will feel your forgiveness I pray father God for those who are weighed down by the guilt of their sin in this place that your love is going to extinguish that guilt that you're going to show them that in you they are free. That in you they are forgiven and made righteous. And just like you washed your disciples' feet in that room so many years ago, today you are washing us clean yet again by our confession. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you are so eager to do these things. Now, Lord, one other question. We, we understand, Lord, that you've called us together to be united to love each other, to be sensitive to the needs of each other, but sometimes we make mistakes. We understand that, Father. So as one congregation, we want to ask you yet again, Jesus, is there anything in any one of our lives that, we have, that may have put a strain on a relationship that we have within the body of Christ? I pray that you would bring those things to mind right now, and as you do, I pray that you would r- reveal to us what we need to do, what actions need to happen to make that thing right. Something to you, perhaps an unkind word that slipped out to someone that you know in our church. Maybe you uh, have thought poorly about somebody. Maybe you've gossiped. We're all guilty and susceptible to these kinds of things. I want you to determine right now, with the help of the Holy Spirit, what your action is. If it's something that you've said to someone's face and you know that it hurt them, then the right thing to do is to go and approach them and tell them, hey, I recognize that what I've done is not good and I'm sorry. And ask them, would you please forgive me? If you've said something behind someone's back, don't go and tell them, hey, this is what I said behind your back. But rather, that's your opportunity to deal with the issue between you and God. Say, Lord, your church is precious to you and I treated it as something that wasn't precious. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me for my loose tongue. Would you forgive me for my unkind words? And friends, you can know once again that the forgiveness of God is whole and good and quick, and it's for you to receive and experience that your relationship yet again would be made right with God. Thank you, Jesus, for this time. Thank you that you hear our prayers. Thank you that you listen to your servants who understand that there's something that needs to be fixed and that you're so willing to intervene. As your church, we just say that we love you. And we're thankful for this demonstration of forgiveness that you gave us today through humility and servanthood. Amen.